So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, and there's two verses that we're going to look at quickly this morning in verses 28 and 29 of Colossians chapter 1. Now, if you've been here for the last couple weeks, we've been looking at our mission statement, loving God, loving people, and making disciples of all nations. Last week, we hit loving God and making disciples of all nations, but I kind of realized as we were ending uh, those two weeks, and I, I knew we wanted to pray today. I wasn't exactly sure where the Spirit would lead today. But as I was walking away from last Sunday, I thought, you know, I talked a lot about making disciples and how we're aiming to do that at Gospel City Church. And we talked about the groups and the classes and the studies that we really want you to partake in this year going forward. I, I said a lot of the meetings that I find myself in with our staff at Gospel City Church are meetings about how do we help the body grow into Christ? How do we help disciples become more mature, more established disciples? And I think we all walked away last week, I walked away challenged that I need to continue to grow in my discipleship. But what I wanna challenge us on today, if I'm you, I may be asking, okay, am I supposed, I, I need to be a, a growing disciple but what I want to challenge you with is that the Great Commission is, is for you just as much as it, it is for me. It's for you personally just as much as it is for your leaders and for your pastors and for your elders. And Jesus, of course, gave the Great Commission at the Mount of Olivet before he ascended into heaven in Matthew chapter 28. We looked at it last week, but it was this. It's on the screen. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Jesus, he said that to his 11 apostles. Judas is gone, 11 apostles on the Mount of Olivet. They had a lot of proximity to Jesus in the flesh, but the Great Commission still rings true for all of us today. If you are a disciple of Christ, you not only have a responsibility to grow in Christ by, by giving into your own discipleship, which we said last week and the culture guide tells us it's, it's the lifelong submission of every disciple to be a learner of Christ, but not only do you have a responsibility as a disciple to grow in Christ, but you have a responsibility to reproduce yourself. You have a responsibility to go and make other disciples. So for the time that we have together, the big idea is this, making disciples isn't just for pastors and leaders, but my responsibility as a follower of Jesus. It's, my, it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. If Christ has put breath in your lungs so that you could worship the almighty God and love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you have a responsibility to reproduce yourself in this life. And so I would ask you, who is emulating you? Who wants to be like you? Who, who are you giving your time to? Who are you passing on the richness of your faith to? I was thinking about athletes this week. Tiger Woods has a son, Charlie Axel. And uh, if you've ever seen 
Sports Illustrated clips of, of Charlie Axel playing golf next to Tiger Woods. Throw that picture up, Ron. Uh, there, there's a, 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 a video where Tiger's son is, is swinging next to uh, Tiger Woods, and they look identical. They swing the same way. They dress the same way. They look the same way. They celebrate the same way, almost to a T. And, and Tiger is training his son and his son is emulating his father, and he's giving that away. He's living a golf life, passing on the golf life, and his son is picking up the golf life to a tee. Now, now that's, that's a, a sports analogy. There's the picture. Look at that. They look just the same. You got to watch the videos. It's really funny. But, but what about your Christian life? Are people attracted to what you bring to the table as a follower of Jesus? They should be. Your faith should be so forward. What Jesus is doing in your life, people should see and they should want what you have and you should be willingly inviting people into your life so that you could give it away, thus reproducing another follower of Jesus. So making disciples isn't just for your pastors and leaders, but it's my responsibility as a follower of Christ. Look at Colossians chapter one, verse 28 and 29. So Colossians is a great epistle of Paul. He wrote it the same time he wrote Ephesians. If you put Ephesians and Colossians side by side, they, they, they mirror each other really well. But look at what he says in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Paul writes, him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So the first point that I want to give to you as we quickly look through these verses this morning is this. Making disciples involves the proclamation of Christ. Making disciples involves the proclamation of Christ. Verse 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all Wisdom. So, so think about this with me we, as we've been talking about our mission statement. Loving people turns to making disciples when you start proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, you can't save anyone. God is in charge of saving. God is in charge of opening hearts. But what you can do is open your mouth boldly that others might repent and believe. So evangelism is a necessary part in making disciples because in evangelism, we proclaim Jesus Christ. Now, I think, I think discipleship can start with a life worth emulating. I think you might be living your life and somebody might say, I, I want to know what's up with that guy. People should be able to see your life and say, man, the way that he loves his spouse, the way that she loves her spouse, the way that they love their kids, or the way that those kids obey their parents, my goodness, uh, the way that they worship, the way that they serve the community, the way that they live their lives in an other-oriented way, it should begin to attract people to you. They should see your face, see your life, and want what you have but are you quick to invite others into it? If your motivation for, for living any of those ways is anything but Jesus, you'll miss the point and the opportunity to make a disciple of Jesus Christ 
And while people might see your good works and even be curious, at some point you need to be ready to tell them about the gospel that has saved you. And that's where evangelism gets hard for us. We have to open our mouth and give an answer, right? And I shared with you last week, even I have fears of that at times. I think there's a quote by Francis Assisi, I think is the person, but it, it was, um, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. You know, like it, it's important to, to, to preach the gospel with the life that you live. That's what I'm talking about. You living a, a God-glorifying life is emulating something that Jesus has saved you and others should see it and they should desire it. But at some point, you got to open your mouth and proclaim Jesus Christ. You can't just live the gospel. You have to open your mouth and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we make more disciples. How will they know in whom they do not hear of and how will they hear if we do not tell them? And so we have to get ready to open our mouths to share the hope of Jesus Christ that has saved us and has changed us. And so we kind of get a little fearful at times, I think, when it comes to sharing our faith. Let me encourage you that your testimony may be the greatest way you could evangelize somebody in the community. As somebody sees you, as somebody that you work with or go to school with, starts to see, oh, this person's not doing all the same things that I'm doing. I wonder why. Maybe they'll ask about it. They might even ask in a mocking type of way. But it could lead to an opportunity for you to do exactly what the people on that video did. Just simply proclaim, this is who I was before Jesus. This is when Jesus intersected my life. And this is what Jesus has done for me. He's changed me. He's made me new. And now I don't want to do everything that the world says is cool. I don't want to do everything that my friends find joy in. I want to do that which brings glory to God Almighty. Your testimony is an amazing way for you to proclaim Christ just as Paul tells us, him we proclaim. Now, notice in the text it says, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So warning everyone is, believers, is a believer's responsibility to counsel in view of sin and the punishment for sin that is to come. I was thinking this week, if I truly believe that hell exists and that people who have not been changed by the grace of Jesus Christ will go to hell, then I better get urgent about warning people. Like, why am I not warning everybody? Why am I not warning people boldly? And I get that we need to have relationships as we get out into the world and, and you kind of crush all those relationships if you just try to like go for it right off the bat. But we need, to, we, need, we need to build relationships so that we can proclaim Christ and warn everyone. And we're also teaching everyone. We're imparting positive truth. We're imparting what we know about God's word. And you notice in the text, it says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And this is probably where discipleship stops for a lot of us. It's why we don't feel like we have what it takes to make disciples. You might be thinking this morning, well, I don't have enough wisdom to make a disciple. I don't have all wisdom. I don't have enough wisdom to emulate Christ and to reproduce myself 
as a disciple maker. And I would remind you of Ephesians chapter one that we studied at the beginning of this year. When Christ saves you and forgives you and redeems you, it says that he lavishes his love upon you in all wisdom and insight. If you are truly saved this morning, if you are truly saved, you might be a one day Christian, like somebody who stood up on that platform last week and proclaimed the mercies of Christ that saved their life. You've been let into the heavenly places. You've been let into the wisdom and insight of God. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and you just need to tap into those things. God's given it to you. He's for you. He can help you to begin to reproduce yourself as a disciple maker. You might not know every question or everything that there is to know right now, but you know enough to help somebody understand what they need to be warned against if they're not saved. You, you know enough to help somebody repent and believe and talk about what that means, what it means to put your hope and your faith in Jesus. You know enough, you've experienced enough if you've walked with Jesus for one day or 75 years that Jesus is good and Jesus is for you and Jesus can help you overcome the things of this world. So begin making disciples, teaching and proclaiming in all wisdom because the spirit of God has let you into the wisdom of the heavenly places. Don't look down on yourself. Don't look at, at the gifts of others or the gifts of your pastors or your leaders and think I'm not them so I can't do this. That's what Satan wants you to believe. But, but lean in to the wisdom that comes from above because you've been let into it just as much as I have. Now number two this morning is this, making disciples has a goal of presenting others mature in Christ. Making disciples has a goal of presenting others mature in Christ. Look as verse 28 goes on. Paul is proclaiming and warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom. And then he gives the goal that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So another reason that we often don't join in the mission of making disciples is because we don't understand the goal. Without a goal, it will be the blind leading the blind. And without a destination, you can't take somebody to the destination. And so we need to take people where we are constantly going. That's why you got to grow in Christ because you won't be able to take somebody toward growth in Christ if you're not growing in Christ. But we're making disciples so that we can present others mature in Christ. The discipling life involves proclaiming and presenting. You are proclaiming what Christ has done for you and what you are learning in your own discipleship as a learner. Then as some begin to follow your lead, the goal is to present them mature in Christ. So discipling others is just helping others follow Jesus. It's just helping others grow up into Christ. And this, of course, is why discipling others is different than evangelism. Evangelism, you open your mouth, you proclaim Christ, somebody hears that Jesus is Lord and they repent and believe or they deny and they walk away or they have more questions. Discipleship is a long game, not a short game. Discipleship is, three, is 12 guys for three years living with Jesus, hearing everything that Jesus said, everything that, seeing everything that Jesus did and still missing the point a lot. Discipleship is patient, it requires study, 
It takes a lot of prayer and discipleship is mutually edifying toward the goal of maturity in Christ. I say it's mutually edifying because every Christian in this room is at their best when they are giving themselves to discipling others. Your faith will grow if you are willing to sit across the table from a younger believer and open your Bible and, and discuss what God's word says and, and, and hash out some questions in life. You don't have to overthink this discipleship thing. It's just sitting down and giving people your time. So you might be asking, how do I present others mature in Christ? How can I do that? I want to do that. I hear Micah talking about it. Give me some handles. Okay, here's five steps for discipling others. Number one, choose someone. Number one, choose someone. I hope that you can come up with a list in your mind right now of people who want your time, but you've not given it to them yet. Who, who can you give some time to? Discipleship often starts when we choose someone to disciple. There's probably more people in here who are like, I want that guy's time. And so, and, and that's, the, that's the trick sometimes is, is we often want to go be discipled. And that's an, uh, that, that is an appropriate thing. You should be getting in circles like that. But not everyone can disciple everyone. We have to spread ourselves out. That's why we get in groups, classes, studies at the church. But then what you're learning there, you take to somebody else. So number one is choose someone. And, and maybe the Lord's already chose them for you. Maybe you have no more time to give because you're a mom and you have six kids at home. And, and, and the Lord has put those kids in your care so that you would choose them to disciple them, to make them learners of Jesus Christ. That is an amazing gift from God when you can use your time to make disciples of your children. So number one, choose someone. Number two, establish growth goals. Establish growth goals as a disciple. We're trying to present others mature in Christ. We're trying to present others more established in the faith. When you start discipling someone, you have to assess where is this person at spiritually. And so you might meet somebody who their life doesn't look very holy their life doesn't look a whole lot like Christ. They're struggling with the things of this world and the temptations of the flesh, but they sure know a lot about the Bible. And they can talk about the Bible, and they know what to say about the Bible. Well, you might want to sit down with that person and start to talk about what the Bible says about living a life walking worthy of a manner to which we have been called. You also might meet somebody who... who, who they're a rule follower and they do all the right things and their life looks squeaky clean, but they know nothing of theology, nothing of doctrine, nothing of the Bible. And so you might need to say, hey, we're going to go through core doctrine together. This is a great example. I did core doctrine last semester, but I'm going to go through it again and I want you to do it with me. And then every time we do a class that week, we're going to get together and we're going to have coffee and we're going to talk about the core doctrine and how it applies to our lives as worshipers of Jesus Christ. That would be an amazing use of a core doctrine class. That would be an amazing use of someone who wants to be like you and you giving them your time to intentionally grow them in the faith. That's a great plan. Number three, though, this is important, should have been one maybe, start with the Bible. <laughs> When you, when you start discipling someone, I've been in, in mentor circles and, and different places where we're trying our best to help others be like Jesus or like something, but there's not a lot of substance behind it. You got to start with the Bible. 
I've been in a lot of settings where it's like, hey, this is what the Bible says. What do you think that means to you? It's kind of the wrong question. It doesn't matter what that means to you. Uh, the Bible says something specifically. God says something specifically. And what God says, we need to apply to our lives. We need to get on God's timetable. And so if you start with the Bible, you won't be leaning on it like a lamppost, but it will be the light that leads the way as you follow Christ. And so open the Bible every time and sit across from it. Maybe you're going through a book. Maybe you're going through the one another's. Maybe you're using a supplemental book that points you to the word of God. But the word of God should be guiding our disciple making. It's where we start every single time. Number four, make the time. If you're going to choose someone, if you're going to disciple someone, it's going to take sacrifice on your part. You're going to have to pay the cost of time. It might start out often, and it might dwindle over time, but it's going to be sacrifice, and it's going to take sitting down, going through your growth goals, having a plan so that you can produce others and help them follow Christ. And number five this morning is simply use every life moment. Use every life moment when you're making disciples. You know, you might meet with somebody one week to week to week to week, and then it might go to once a month, and it might go to once a quarter, and then it might just be text conversations because that person has grown in Christ, and yet you're always in their life, and, and they're going to text you at the hardest moments in life, and those moments are an opportunity for you to point them to Jesus Christ. And for you to remind others of what Christ has done in them and for them. And so these are the ways that we present others mature in Christ. They're kind of simple, but they do take sacrifice and they do take time. But everyone has a responsibility to do it if you're a disciple of Jesus. Now, number three this morning is this. Making disciples is a toilsome struggle that must be fueled by Christ in you. Making disciples is a toilsome struggle that must be fueled by Christ in you. You see what I did there? I told you it's not that hard, and yet it's really hard. <laughs> That's what Paul does. It's, it, it, he made it simple, but then he tells us how hard it is. But if Satan can keep you from doing anything, it is this. Satan wants you to be sitting passively on the sidelines with your faith. Because if he can keep you off mission, he can keep, you, he can keep influencing the struggles of others. So you know what he does? He makes discipleship hard for you. He makes reproducing yourself as a believer hard for you. And remember, every believer, every, every person on this earth has three things going against them. The flesh, the world, and the devil. All of those things are going against who you are trying to reproduce yourself in, and those things are going against you. So all of these explain why Paul describes discipling others as toil and as struggle. Look at verse 29. Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. <laughs> the New American Standard Version of the Bible it replaces the word struggle with striving, and it's where we get the word to agonize. So what Paul is describing about making disciples, proclaiming Christ and presenting others mature in Christ, that's making disciples. He's saying it takes maximum effort from you, the disciple maker. And you see this in Paul's life. 
As we go through the scriptures, Paul probably had a lot of victory moments, and he, he certainly did a ton for the church, and he's largely a part of the reason that we're sitting here today. But often what stands out in scripture are not his high moments, right? They're the moments that he was being beaten and whipped and accused and mocked and shipwrecked and imprisoned and eventually beheaded. And you might be saying this morning, well, if that's what making disciples gets me, then I'm out. Why would I make disciples if all of that toil and all of that struggle and all of that hardship and even death is what it could get me? And it's because it's not you. It is Christ in you. It is Christ in you, and that is why you make disciples. It was Christ in Paul, and that is why you're on a mission to re represent, represent yourself to the Lord and to others. I don't know what I was trying to say there. Um, it's always only Jesus, always only Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed on the back of the culture guide, uh, always only Jesus is a phrase that's there. I think that's a great phrase for us to hang our hat on this whole year as a church. Uh, every time the going gets tough, every time your growth in Christ starts to peter out, every time you, you, you find yourself sitting on the sidelines and, and frustrated with making other disciples, we can remind one another that it is always only Jesus. And because it's only Jesus, it's worth the struggle and the toil. You're going to face disappointments if you begin discipling others. You're going to face people backsliding morally if you're going to disciple others. You're going to uh, lose people if you're discipling others. You're going to face deception and betrayal if you're discipling others. You're going to face opposition and hardship if you're discipling others. But the power at work within you will be missed without the battle. The greatest victories for Jesus come with much toil and much struggle, but it's only the hardships that could create a greater dependency on the one we proclaim. So you got to take heart this morning as a disciple maker. If you're experiencing the opposition and the struggle of making disciples, the Lord sees every tear and the Lord hears every prayer and the Lord binds up the brokenhearted, and the Lord's arm is not too short to save, and he's gracious enough to use you. But the harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. Jesus' words, they still ring true today. You look around in this room, harvest is plentiful. You look around in the community outside, the harvest is plentiful. I was at a Notre Dame football game yesterday and there were 80,000 screaming fans. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I would love for that place to be packed out worshiping Jesus. Instead, we're worshiping football, but that's all right because the world desperately needs Jesus Christ and who's gonna tell them if it's not us? Who's gonna go if it's not us? The laborers are few. So I'll just close with, with this Example, let me paint a picture for you. Imagine spending your life in Christ to have a life worth imitating. That's what we're called to be doing. Live a life worth imitating. Paul did that, and we were called to imitate Paul as he imitated Christ. You grow, you learn, you study, you sever sin, you live a holy, God-glorifying, joyful life. And because of this, 
And because this is your aim, others see you, they begin to gravitate toward you, and you get the opportunity to intentionally influence them with the things of God. And you start to work hard all your days to proclaim Christ to them and to present others as mature in Christ, like Paul tells us. Now, you may never know the results of your reproducing and your disciple-making here on the earth, But imagine getting to heaven where God recounts all of your time that you spent here on the earth. The short time that he gave you this side of eternity. Imagine he pulls up every opportunity where you opened your mouth boldly to share the gospel. Imagine God pulls up every hard conversation where you had, you did your best to share the truth with someone in love. Imagine God pulls up every prayer that you ever prayed for someone's salvation Imagine that God pulls up every conversation or meeting you had across from another person with a Bible open. Imagine he pulls up all the hours you sacrificed for the disciple making of others. And as you survey your life here this morning, would there be anything on God's list? As you look at your life as a disciple maker, would there be anything? On God's list? Would there be any moments that God pulls up and celebrates as you've presented others mature in Christ? I don't know what you're living for, but I want to labor for a long list of gospel fruit in the heavenly places. I may not know the outcome of every discipling opportunity here on earth. I may not know what was effective or not, but I can trust God to work out the details and so I can spend my life being a disciple and making other disciples to the glory of God. I want you to do that too. This is what Charles Spurgeon said, and then I'm done with this portion of the message. Charles Spurgeon said, if by excessive labor we die before reaching the average age of man worn out in the master's service, then glory be to God. We shall have so much less of earth and so much more of heaven. It is our duty and our privilege to exhaust our lives for Jesus. We are not to be living specimens of men in fine preservations, but living sacrifices whose lot is to be consumed. I want that to be a cry of my heart. I want it to be a cry of your heart and of this church. And I'm going to invite a few brothers up to the platform right now. And uh, I want you to hear some testimonies and then we're going to aim our prayers. Each of these are coming with a specific thing that they're doing in making disciples, but also they're representing kind of a, a greater area in our church. So this is Mike Mora. He's a Notre Dame student and he's representing not only what he's doing at Notre Dame for the glory of God, but also the collegiate community in general. This is Corey Lance, great brother, and he's not only a local missions partner at Transformation Ministries, but representing our local partnerships. We also have a partnership with Life Plan, and I wanna tell you stories of what God's doing there over the next couple weeks. And then this is Pastor Mitch. We all love Pastor Mitch, and he's representing global missions today, and he's gonna tell you a little bit about Africans reaching Africa. But I know these guys are fired up about everything I was sharing with you today. And we want to be a disciple-making church going into this 2023-2024 ministry year. We need your help. And uh, these guys are helping uh, 
the cause of Christ in the community, and I'm excited about it. Mike, tell us a little bit about just the burden on your heart for making disciples. God brought you to Notre Dame. What is he doing right now, and uh, why do you have a burden for it? Yeah, of course. So hi, everyone. Um, my name is Mike Moore. I'm a sophomore at Notre Dame. Um, when I came first to Notre Dame before freshman year, I was just kind of newly saved, new believer, kind of showed up and very quickly just saw, as most college campuses are, that Notre Dame was just desperately spiritually needy for the one true gospel. That there's so many people on campus who are so close to religion and so far from Christ and have not heard the one true gospel of our Lord. And so really, I've just had a huge burden that, as Micah, as you said, they will not hear if we don't go. And if there's, especially for the students in the room and the young adults, if there's people on campus who haven't heard the gospels because we have not told them, if your roommate or my roommate or our classmates and our professors haven't heard the gospels because we have not shared it with them, and that is what we've been called to do as believers. And even secondarily on campus, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. And out of the few labors on campus, so few the labors know each other. Hmm. And so I just had a huge burden for going out and sharing the gospel, but also for those who are labors and interests come together and to know one another and to pray for each other in our labor. And Third, the primary place through which discipleship flourishes is the local body. And it's so easy during college to kind of forsake the local body in this time of transition and say, oh, I just am going to go in and come out every other Sunday. And, but rather, by connecting to a local body, which we're doing through the group I'll mention in a second, we've allowed ourselves to have a place on campus to evangelize, to disciple, and to be connected to the local body. So this school year... Um, just kind of was looking to see how the Lord was going to move and started a group called Gospel Club in Notre Dame, which is kind of being led alongside Gospel City, in which we're meeting weekly on Thursday nights. Right now I'm teaching through a series, What is the Gospel? And just thank you for all of you who have been praying and laboring alongside with me and the other students and even the other people on campus who are praying and, and seeking out to, to live out the gospel and to share it with others. Um, I think, yeah, up there we have a picture from our first gathering. I thought from the beginning of... We just get this going in even five people, even if one person shows up to hear the gospel, that we'll be doing our job. And, but the Lord just has been graciously um, abounding in his mercy. And even the first day brought 60 people into the fold. And even last week, already had over 40 people who were coming to hear the gospel presented week in and week out. So it's been a huge encouragement. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? 57 the first time. And uh, I, I, don't, I want you to hear this real quick. Like, Mike, you wouldn't say you're naturally necessarily a disciple maker or you're fully equipped, right? Definitely not. <laughs> so when I, when I met Mike, when I met Mike at a coffee shop, like he, he was kind of honestly discouraged a little bit as he got to a new campus and was like, I thought I'd find some people who love Jesus and are on fire. And there are many of them are here as he's gotten those friendships. But, uh, you know, as we were talking and as he was discouraged a little bit, I said, well, what are you doing? He's like, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm taking like 15 guys through what is the gospel in my dorm room. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. And so that's, that's kind of what discipleship does for us sometimes. It, it kind of makes us feel like we're not doing enough, and yet it's the simple steps of obedience where God starts to work and God starts to move. And so that 15, group of 15 turned into 57, and we're praying it turns into a lot more. And uh, we love the collegiate community at Gospel City Church. We're having a lunch for you next week, by the way, college students. If you're going to a college Bethel, IUSB, Notre Dame, St. Mary's, any of those, stay after the second service for a lunch. We just want you to know that we love you, but you can keep hearing about these things. But great job, man, and we're excited about what the Lord is doing. Any other, would you, how would you encourage this body 
to be bold with making disciples? Sure. Kind of like I said, I was saved in 2021. Like I didn't really know anything about the gospel and wasn't living for the Lord. And I was actually running away from the grace of God. But luckily the grace of God overtook me pretty swiftly in 2021. Amen. And it's been a huge blessing to see that I've felt so unequipped a lot of times of, Lord, I've just been walking with you for a few months in the beginning and, and thinking, how can I, who's a new believer, go out and share the good news? But the thing is, we've been equipped through the word. And it's not just what I say, it's what the word has said. Know that the word doesn't return void. And so even if we don't feel like we have the words to say, presenting the scriptures to those around us is something we're always capable of doing because we've been armed with the word of God. And so I would encourage all of you, like I said, I was a new believer and the Lord used me. How much more so for those of you who have been walking with the Lord for decades, for years, can the Amen. Lord use you? Amen. Praise the Lord. Give him a round of applause. And uh, this is good brother Corey Lance. And uh, tell us what happened this week on what's new in Transformation's life? Yeah, we, we just had a, a, a ribbon cutting. So we, we invested a couple of years ago in, at, through, through the last couple of years into this building. And uh, we had a big grand opening ribbon cutting. It was phenomenal. It was beautiful. A lot of people uh, came to show up for that and celebrate that with us. So start Transformation, my wife and I got introduced to it. We were serving pepperoni rolls to like a house in Keller Park mm -hmm. area. And there was how many students back then? There's 12. 12 students, and then you went to a location on Portage Road, and now there, and there were 72 mm -hmm. mentees and mm -hmm. mentors and mm -hmm. a couple other things, and now you got this new building in the Keller Park area, and it is a phenomenal space, like amazing space, and I just sensed the community coming together at the ribbon cutting. It was the most Christ-exalting ribbon cutting ever, and Pastor Stephen Love was there, and he prayed and shared at the end, but was so thankful for Corey and his wife, Allie, sharing Christ. I was thinking of you guys with this passage. For this, I toil, struggling with all the energy that Christ powerfully works within us. It hasn't been easy getting into the building for your staff, for your families, um, for the ministry in general. Tell, tell us a little bit about what the Lord's teaching you in persevering in the effort of making disciples and proclaiming Christ. Yeah, very good. First of all, I would say that the ribbon cutting, that was not a picture of discipleship for us. That was a picture of, of God's faithfulness, his provision, and it was incredible. But the picture of, of discipleship probably happened more in that house where you and Nicole were, were serving the pepperoni yeah. rolls, the little 800 square foot house. And the picture would probably be me with a student at the kitchen table uh, working on homework or in the living room just opening up the Bible together. It might even be like in our car as I was taking a student or two home. It might be in a, in a waiting room uh, at a doctor's office before a student or a family is about ready to get some really hard news. So like that's more of like the picture of discipleship I think about. That picture of the ribbon cutting, beautiful but not discipleship. It's the it's day-to-day, the -day, every day that is true discipleship. And a wise man told me a few years ago that, that uncommon love is, is long and laborious. It's tedious and it's monotonous. And I hate that he calls it uncommon love because it should be common love. But the point is that the discipleship happens when it's just this day-to-day, long-game, laborious love. It's not like the headliners that you see in the newspaper. It's not the ribbon cutting. It's just the day in and day out love of things. And, mm. and I think that it's, it's very tedious and it can feel very monotonous. And when you're doing it, you often wonder like, is this even making a difference? Is this impacting anyone? No one sees this. 
what am I doing? And um, I'm like Mike. I, I, I came to know the Lord quite a while ago, but I'm not an ordained minister. At the ribbon cutting, they introduced one of the council members said I was Pastor Corey, and I'm not a pastor. Um, I'm not an ordained minister. I haven't gone to th- a theology school, but I believe that I am a disciple maker, and that's very, very important to me, and it's important for those that I'm discipling to know that they are also disciple makers as well. So I love what you talked about, how it's not just for pastors, it's not just for leaders, it's not just for ministry leaders either, it's for all of us to, to go and make disciples. I, I feel very strongly about that. Tell us real quick, just like as we're going into this year, our ministry year's kicking off, Transformations ministry year's kicking off, what are you excited about? How many kids do you have? What, what's the goals? Yeah, we have 111 kids, and again, for us, it's not really about the numbers because we're, we're all about one kid, and so if we can have one kid who comes to know Jesus and then takes their love for Jesus, their transformed heart and mind, and then shares that with another friend or a parent, and then they come to know Jesus, like, that's, that's what it's all about for us, and so we are going to invest deeply in the students that we serve there's 111. We know there's exactly 111 because we're so intentional about choosing who we disciple and how we pour into them and then just, just walking with them in, in every part of life, in living rooms, in vehicles, in waiting rooms, in kitchens, in cafes. Um, just, and, and that's what we want our volunteers and our mentors and our staff to really embody too, like just walk with people where they're at, show up with them. And I have one student real quickly that comes to mind as I think about how when I met him, his life was a mess and he was all over the place and he actually didn't want to come to know Christ until later in his life. He said he was going to wait till he was 30. And he ends up giving his life to Christ <laughs> and, and he, after he's counted the cost. And, and since then, it's been a journey, not just like this, but it's a, been a journey of ups and downs. And much like the flesh attacks us, the world attacks us, the enemy attacks us, and he's felt those attacks. But I'm just so proud of how he's continued to keep his eyes fixed on Jesus and also take his love for Jesus and, and share that with others. And he's just a great example, again, of just someone like Mike and I. I'm not Mitch and Micah because they're pastors. But just someone just like Mike and I who's just saying, I love Jesus and I just want to share that with others. And I'm just going to do the, the long and laborious things and the monotonous things and see what Jesus does. Amen. Can you praise God for what he's doing in our city? And then Pastor Mitch, he's here and he's going to tie a bow on this, but also just represent global missions in general, tell you a little bit about ARA and what God's doing. Yeah, so when we talk about the Great Great Commission, think about the Great Commission, some of the first people I think of are Billy and Jen Nelson. So most of us know them as the founders of ARA, Africans Reaching Africa, leading this big mission organization. But what I want to share with you is a little bit of a, a background of how ARA got started. So uh, Jen is a, a nurse practitioner. She's a, in nursing, and, and Billy is in the finance world. They had successful careers here in the States, but then they got married, and, and they felt like they didn't want to just use their skills and their gifting just to have a, a comfortable life here in the States. They, they wanted to use their gifting to, to help bring the gospel to the nations. So they, they became missionaries. They went to Liberia, and Jen was serving in a hospital there in Liberia, and, and Billy was helping the, the hospital with their finances and their budget, and they, they were doing a lot of great things, but as they were there, they, they kept meeting these amazing African Christians who loved the Lord and knew their Bibles and had a heart uh, to be missionaries, had a heart to bring the gospel specifically in their, I mean, Liberia is surrounded by all 
Muslim countries where it's like 99% Muslim people who do not know the gospel. And so Bill and Jen are meeting all these amazing Christians who would make great missionaries. They're linguistically gifted. They, they know the culture. And yet they just needed some help, some administrative help, some, some support to be able to financially get there. And so Bill and Jen had this idea that they could use some of their administrative skills, some of their uh, partnerships with uh, churches here in the state who have in the states who who have the resources to to help send people, and we could partner with these African Christians and send them send them into places where Western people could would have a really hard time ever ever making, let alone surviving, let alone uh, helping people know the Lord. And so that was the idea, and that was just about five years ago. That idea led them to send up, send out about ten people. They sent about ten people into a country called the Gambia, which is mostly Muslim, and and God really blessed that, and God continued to bless that, and they started to recruit and to train more missionaries, and just this last month, they sent out their 100th missionary family. Wow. So, I mean, that's just amazing. Within five years, ARA has trained, equipped, and sent out over 100 missionary families. I think they're in seven different countries in North Africa, and every single one of these missionaries is is making disciples, they're planning house churches, they're leading evangelistic Bible studies, and there's so many stories I could tell you of how each one of those missionaries are making disciples, but one that just happened just the last couple weeks, uh, this missionary met a man who was, uh, he was Muslim, but he was also a, a witch doctor, and so he was uh, involved with some pretty dark stuff, and yet this missionary didn't, didn't profile him. He didn't think, well, that he would never respond to the gospel. He shared the gospel with him, made a relationship with him, kept coming back, and the, the guy was actually interested and eventually gave his life to the Lord. Well, that missionary didn't just make a convert. He, he made a disciple. So he invited him to his, their Timothy training is what they call him. So they, they take the people who they lead to the Lord and put them through a Timothy training to help them make disciples. And so then that man, who was a witch doctor, is now in a Timothy training. He has played a key role in helping them plant a house church in their village. I mean, this is the, the first house church in their village. They couldn't even walk, couldn't drive. This is the first church that these people have ever had access to. And then that man has also uh, been able to leave some of his own family members to the Lord. So this, that, that's an example of how... These missionaries are going out making disciples who are making disciples. And I think a theme that we kind of have this morning is if Bill and Jen, if you would have told them five years ago what God is doing through them, they they would have laughed. I mean, they're the first to tell you that it's just almost comical all that God is doing through them. And she's just a nurse. He's a finance guy. They're not these super Christians who had all this theological training, but they felt a call to go, and they felt a burden, and they were faithful, and they were obedient, and God is just blessing them beyond their wildest dreams. And so I think that as we think about it this morning, as we think about as, you know, core classes and academy and and studies are coming up. We, we really want, as, as a church, we, we pray for a vision to not just view those things as a way for us to, to know more about the Bible just so we can have a, a more comfortable life and know our stuff. We're, we're praying as pastors, we're praying as elders, we're praying that through those classes and through those studies that we would equip people and get people so excited about the Bible that they, they want to give their lives to telling other people about Jesus and what God has done for them through Christ. And so we're viewing those classes as a training ground, as a equipping ground to hopefully send out future Billy and Jen Nelsons right from this congregation. Amen. Praise God for what he's doing around the world. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet 
And uh, I'm going to pray uh, for these three brothers and what the Lord's doing around the world and in our community and in our city. You can extend a hand if you will. We'll sing and then we'll do one more prayer group where you can pray specifically for loving others uh, in your world, in your sphere, as you be begin to be a disciple maker and continue to be disciple makers. Let's pray together. Lord, we come and uh, we just thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. We thank you for uh, your word, Lord, and for how it instructs us to proclaim Jesus Christ and to present others mature in Christ. I thank you for the large representation of disciples that are here today. And Lord, all of us wanna be disciple makers. All of us have a responsibility to do it. I thank you for these brothers who are modeling it and, uh, and are re representing others who are modeling it here today. I thank you that it's not the, the accolades and the mountaintop moments and, and even the big wins that define discipleship. I thank you that it starts with an individual open-handed saying, here I am, send me. And I've seen that in each of these guys' lives. I see it in Billy and Jen's life. I see it in, in all of us as we feel ill-equipped to do what you've asked us to do, yet submitted to you for all things. So Lord, would you provide the means and the breadth of ministry and the depth of ministry, would you help us just to be available and to get it and to go? And so Lord, on the college campuses around this community, you've placed Gospel City among some massive colleges and, and a lot of, of kids are coming here to learn and study and grow. I pray that the, the, the greatest thing that would impact their life is not their four years of school, but Jesus Christ in the midst of those four years of school. And I pray that they would truly know the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is able to save them and change them. And I pray, God, that you would even redirect hearts and redirect futures as they've come here to study one thing. Jesus, as you intersect their life, would you send them out from this place to do another thing for the glory of God? And I thank you for transformation ministries. I thank you for life plan ministries. I thank you for the local ministries that are represented in our city doing hard things, working in hard ground, but discovering the, the beauty of what you create in all of humanity. Your image is stamped in humanity. And so Lord, would you help us to think beyond our walls and think beyond our circles and to go that we might love people and so that they might see the love of Jesus that only transforms lives. And so I pray that this year in this new space at Transformation Ministries, it would be one of the most fruitful years they've ever had. I pray that they would see uh, uh, kids' lives be turned around. I pray that kids would give their life to following Jesus. I pray for those who are in hard situations and who are facing hard things that are just a reality of this life because of brokenness. Lord, I pray that there would be patience and endurance and love and compassion and kindness on display from this building in the middle of our city. And I pray that we'd only be able to stand back and say, whoa, the Lord is up to something. How can I be a part of it? And then Lord, I pray for Billy and Jen. I pray for some other missionaries that I was uh, contacted by last night, even who are in hard places. And Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing around the world. Thank you that you take ordinary men and women and you send us and, and you use us and that missionaries are being built up and sent out into Muslim countries and into places where they've never heard the name of Jesus. Would you continue to do it? Would you continue to move? Would you continue to light a fire? And would you light a fire in us as the people of God here today to say, here I am, send me. 
send up more, raise up more missionaries right from this very spot that we might go, that we might live sent to our homes, to our city, and to our world. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.